great Canadian talk show. There's only a couple of watts, but I brought the truth to everyone within three blocks of the West Side of Campus. No way! Yes way! And now, let's get right down to business with Marty Gold. Welcome to the Great Canadian Talk Show Podcast. This is episode four of season two. And uh, first, uh, right off the top, thanks to everyone who uh, gave us such tremendous feedback to last week's uh, podcast, uh, and in particular, the the different segments. Uh, I was on the road, and uh, Kenny and I recorded different segments. We're actually doing that a bit today, because this segment's going to be slightly pre-recorded for make things easier on us on the production end. And then Kenny will be uh, coming in uh, for the remainder of the program. And last week, in particular, uh, my segment about the uh, departures from the Progressive Conservative Government Caucus, uh, and as well, Kenny's excellent, and I had no idea he was doing it, excellent uh, analysis of the news coverage, a lack of real news coverage, uh, lack of balanced news coverage because of the biases that newsrooms in Winnipeg seem to have against motorists and in favor of the... uh, of the typical lobby forces, the uh, Kenny's uh, piece about the pilot project lowering speed limits is an experiment in, um, but perhaps not an experiment, uh, thin edge of the wedge, so to speak, uh, around the city, those four neighborhoods. And Kenny did an excellent job in analyzing the news reporting and the, the ridiculous gaps in the reporting because you can't, you just can't trust. Uh, certainly in Winnipeg, the quality of news reporting coming out of the television newsrooms has been on the decline for a while and, and no greater evidence of the uh, lack of critical thinking than what Spirit of Kenny was able to bring forward last week. Uh, and uh, and again, my thanks. Uh, there were a number of donors stepped forward last week. It, it was out of the blue and um, that's the kind of thing we need to be able to continue with this kind of reporting and analysis that you're just not going to get anywhere else, especially important in light of the fact that there's going to be a provincial election. So I want to thank those donors. You all know who you are. And if you want to join them, you'll see the link for PayPal uh, or uh, we can I can be contacted more directly for those purposes. Uh, but it's it's important that we have that kind of support so that the research can get done so that the um, the podcast can be given the tools and resources it needs to grow and and make sure that people are informed about what's going on in the province, what's going on in the city of Winnipeg, what's going on with regards to the provincial election. Now, speaking of the upcoming provincial election scheduled for October, uh, I uh, had in discussing and I'll, I'll get back around to the PC caucus, but I also uh, provide a brief overview of what was going on with the uh, liberals uh, and with the. Uh, NDP as well, prospectively moving forward to that election. And I heard of all things from Ross Eady, Councillor Eady, faithful listener, uh, who reminded, actually, I, he thought he was reminding me, but I didn't know this, that I guess there had been a bit of uh, controversy in 1999 uh, when I talked about the history of, of, of uh, John Gerard, liberal member from River Heights, former leader, a friend of this program. And that I, I couldn't remember exactly when John had entered provincial politics, but that I knew it was nigh on 20 years. In fact, it was more than 20 years. It was 1999, uh, and that the, there had been some heat inside the Liberal Party when John decided not to run uh, in the Maples, uh, instead running in River Heights. Now, I personally wouldn't have thought about John Gerard running in the Maples back in 99, but uh, Having previously elected Dr. Chima, the Maples was doctor friendly, I guess. Uh, Gary Kowalski, former cop, had also been elected there. And I, if I'm remembering this correctly, it became the domain of the Dolans, 
of Mary Beth and then Marty Dolan. Uh, so amazing the things you never knew that Councillor Eady thought I knew about, but I never knew that there had been any concept or that there was um, disgruntlement within the Liberal Party that back then uh, John Gerard ran in the South End and not in the North End. Now, to follow up on the uh, Conservative departures, when I recorded my piece, I, I um, didn't forecast the departure of Reg Hellier, but I said if he's decided he's had enough, I wouldn't be surprised. And in fact, uh, basically simultaneous to the podcast being recorded, uh, being produced rather, uh, uh, Reg had uh, had uh, determined that he had uh, was better served by moving into private life. Uh, and I think that uh, overall that brought the number up to 10. And I've, I've you know, there are people, uh, if people in the media, the pundit class speculating about uh, this being a bailing out on Premier Stephenson because of uh, poor showings in the polls, etc. In fact, uh, what I've been told is one of these individuals made the decision over a year ago, uh, but did not uh, announce a decision that they had decided they would be retiring from politics until more recently. One of these individuals has a serious illness in the family. Uh, another of these individuals, um, I think I could say that there was uh, 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 family matters has required them to step back, step back into private life and run the family business. And yet another individual had been contemplating it for a while because, uh, you know, when you when you're pushing 70 years old, how much more time do you want to unless you're like a career politician? and and are are addicted to it uh and i mean that in a bad way i guess uh so a lot of these departures are more normal and and not the surprise that uh, some media pundits are portraying them as now uh we also had spoken about the talk about premier stephenson's health she looked healthier recently she made an appearance was it a hockey game last weekend or two weekends ago and and um, seemed healthier, uh, but I was reminded that it was over two months ago that Dan Lent and the Free Press um, made a bit of a deal about the uh, PC party canceling a fundraiser on November 18th with Premier Stephenson. So, uh, you know, when when I had myself and others had been surmising that there had been some health challenges for the Premier, that it did in fact date back to November and that there was an ongoing illness she seems a little better um interestingly in posting that the the january 9th podcast uh, the blue herd on broadway culling itself before the manitoba election um and i don't know the last time the conservatives were called the blue herd here but i did it anyways uh there was immediately in posting it on one of the facebook groups a comment from somebody who's been pretty reputable pretty accurate when it's come to statements they've put out in public or or um insight they provided about local politics uh and the their statement was that rumor around tuxedo from her neighbors meaning heather stephenson is she's unwell and will step down this spring allowing the party to skip formal leadership and appoint a leader to lead the party into the election so there's that and that came like up immediately so uh, uh yet to see how this will play out uh on the one hand uh, you know, th this isn't the first time I've heard this kind of idea, but again, I can say with my own two eyes, uh, the Premier looked uh, better than she's, she looked like she was feeling better than it looked like she had felt in a while. Does that make any sense? I think it does. Uh, the Premier also making, as the Free Press describes it, senior staff changes. Uh, and the lead 
the lead, the lead rather, sheesh, the lead by Carol Saunders, an epic uh, example of the bias slanted journalism that is typed out by people whose paychecks come from Mountain Avenue. Premier Heather Stephenson has to contend with the shakeup of her senior staff as she prepares for the political fight of her life. When voters go to the polls in a fall election, her party appears poised to lose. Oh, boy, that's as neutral as it gets. Uh, Phil Hood, uh, he who uh, and even the way this is put, Phil Hood, a political veteran who was appointed chief of staff in June is out. He replaced Jordan Sisson, who announced Thursday he's seeking the PC nomination for Adam West. OK, so now I got to straighten this out uh, a little bit. Sisson left in June, has announced that he's running in Brandon West to replace Reg Hellier, who's the Heller, who's the uh, labor minister. OK, so Hood was in in June and now he's out again. Uh, is this overly remarkable? No, but the way it's phrased is out. Is out. Gay and dreart. Sisson, meanwhile, this represents one of the insiders uh, that where Heather Stephenson's camp is going to try to control the nomination process. He'd be one example of it. Um, uh, so Hood has not yet been replaced as chief of staff, not as of the, the you know this weekend. Two-time ta- ta- two top bureaucrat Don Leach, meaning he served under film and then came back to serve uh, once again, I believe, under Pallister, is being replaced as clerk of the executive council by Catherine Gerard, who's been deputy minister of economic development, investment and trade since last February and deputy minister of families prior to that. According to Carol Saunders in the Winnipeg Free Press, that's the head of the civil service and in charge of making sure the government runs no matter what 24-7. She must have impressed the premier, said U of M political studies professor Christopher Adams. According to the story, Stevenson described Catherine Gerard as an innovator and whole of government strategist. And I look forward to the leadership she will provide in quickly advancing our agenda of renewal, especially in healthcare. No, don't tie an anvil around her neck. Gerard, the incoming clerk of the executive council, led him. This is what Stephenson said, I believe. I uh, believe this is a quote from the, the a statement attributed to the premier. Led important departments, initiatives and organizations, including our mental health, homeless and addictions file. Well, you know, it's it's not an easy sell to convince people that Kath, and it, this isn't necessarily just Catherine Gerard. It could be anybody who had had those duties. But I don't know that too many people really look at how the conservative government is delivered in regards to uh, the addictions file and homelessness. Uh, many uh, s- certainly questions about who gets funding and who doesn't in the realm of homeless and addictions files. So I don't know that any anybody would necessarily say, yeah, that's been really successful. You know, managed, perhaps. I mean, it's a catastrophe no matter how you look at it, but improved. <laughs> I don't I don't know how much evidence there is that that Catherine Gerard made things better. I'm also admitting I'm not sure that there's evidence that she specifically made things worse, but it sure seems sure seems like homelessness and addictions is worse than it's ever been. Anyways, not that it's entirely her fault. Okay, I want to be clear. Prior to joining the government in 2019, Gerard, who studied marketing and business administration at Red River College Polytechnic, otherwise known in her day as no doubt Red River College, worked for Bell MTS. Hmm. Well, you know, that doesn't seem, when you look at it, how does somebody who studied marketing and business admin at Red River and worked for Bell, I mean, really worked for MTS, that person ends up becoming the individual responsible for making sure the government runs no matter what, 24-7? That, based on what we're told, that doesn't seem like a likely scenario. 
And uh, conveniently, I happen to have a copy of uh, Gerard's uh, public CV uh, from a file I worked on a couple of years ago. Um, let's look at this background. April 2000, education, the only education that was listed, as I recall, was Red River College Business Administration Marketing. Director of Marketing for AAA Alarms for just about five years. Director of Operations for AAA Alarms from February 2010 to April 2011 for about 15 months. And then Director of Technical Support at, uh, at some point, uh, MTS, this is under the Aegis of MTS, it's all under the Aegis of MTM, MTS Allstream, rather. Director of Technical Support accountable for a team of 220 customer service reps in a 24-7 complex call center environment with an operating budget of 10 million. So 10 years ago, this individual with a marketing back certificate, can't even say degree, from Red River College, was running a call center with 220 clients, 24-7 call center, and a budget of 10 million. Now, what was the rest of the story for this Kathy Gerard from 10 years ago to today, a director of sales enterprise, leading a sales team of 40, a maintaining a successful growth of 90 million plus revenue, but of a $90 million plus revenue uh, budget. Then in December, September 2015 to December 2018, general manager of AAA security, meaning AAA alarms, okay? Executive leader of the organization reporting into Bell MTS. Operational marketing strategic plans, 93 employees. Uh, you know, then in 2019, she leaps into the uh, to become the director of mental health transformation. No background in mental health on the surface of it whatsoever. Absolutely zero. And in May of 2019, Brian Palliser decides that Catherine Gerard is qualified to move into this realm. Now, not for nothing, but the reputation of AAA uh, if one were to look into it in the period from just prior to this individual joining the provincial government, uh, was not exactly sterling from those in the know in regards to these kinds of things. But somehow she parlays the portrayal of success as GM of AAA into running government mental health transformation services ah, go figure but now kathy gerard uh and so really all the public can judge her qualifications for running the civil service is how did she do it with this transformation project how did she do how what happened with addictions funding with mental health services and funding uh uh how is the province sized up because uh at the level under whoever the Minister of Health would have been at any given time, it would appear that she uh, is the one responsible for, imp for implementing and guiding these various programs, amalgamations, whatever else was going on with the government. And like Chris Adams said, Professor Adams said, not that I want to necessarily put a lot of stock in, in his ideas, but he is right. She must have impressed the Premier. How? What evidence there is she's an innovator and whole of government strategist, it's hard to see where this um, affirmation of Catherine Gerard's qualifications to be the most powerful civil servant uh, in, in the province, uh, hard to see exactly 
how this person goes from what her background is into uh, never mind deputy minister of economic development investment and trade which also seems which is also seems a big stretch but who knows maybe she's a prodigy a bureaucratic prodigy uh, but maybe there's other factors that played into her ascension under the uh, under the pc government in the last few years i mean you think a person with this much uh, you think a person with this much ability uh, there'd be uh, as proclaimed by the premier you think there'd be more meat on the bone when you look into her background to see you know how she's qualified to uh to to take over at a time when as carol sanders put it the political fight of stephenson's life when voters go to the polls in a fall election her party appears poised to lose so if that doesn't put some <laughs> that doesn't put some square responsibility on the shoulders of kathy gerard i don't know what does uh anyways that's a brief look at provincial stuff i want to follow up on on uh, on what i had uh, learned about some of those cabinet members off for a short break back with spirit of kenny a look at what's going on around city hall and more on the great canadian talk show podcast this week the great canadian talk show is brought to you by the hive hair company from classic to funky the styles of your life are at the hive in the heart of the osborne village at 175 osborne call 452-4483 or online thehivehaircompany.com back with the second segment here on the great canadian talk show podcast uh episode four of 2023 and lo and behold here's spirit of kenny kenny because of the the nature of how these things work i know that you uh heard my compliments and the compliments that our audience Not, brought last week oh yeah that was really surprising uh yeah, yeah that's good uh, to know well so we're, we're gonna have you we're gonna ha- we're gonna keep you on the on that beat of taking a look at media coverage um it just sort of because we don't have two hours, otherwise I'd be doing. Yeah, you know, it's kind of my old shtick, but it was always your shtick too. But we're going to keep you on that beat for the next couple of weeks because it gets response uh, and reinforces why uh, why we bring value that people aren't finding, whether they're and one way or the other. Almost all these TV newsrooms are subsidized by taxpayers, one way or the other nowadays. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, but it's important to, to see what direction these stories have and what they're missing, and and certainly when it came to the question of thirty. 40 kilometer uh, speed limits on Winnipeg streets and the this concept is being advanced by some inside City Hall is necessary to save lives that aren't being lost. Yeah. Right? And like I was I was thinking about it. If there is data to support this cause, to support the change in the uh, speed limit, then why didn't they just have these studies like here? Here's these studies that show how much more people uh, how much more time people have to stop and how many very safe. Kenny, That's all they needed to say instead of trying to shame us. Oh, the rest of Canada has already changed it. Or there's a, a cry that a public outcry. Like just Which show us the data. Now, now I want to skip. I want to skip ahead. Not poised to lose, Marty. What is that? Not poised to lose. Not. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Poised to lose. Not not poised no, to lose. Poised they are poised to lose. To lose. <laughs> like to they're lose. trying to lose is what Carol <laughs> Sanders was <laughs> saying. So flowing from that, and I I I want to keep just skip to something that that I just noticed. Um like barely before we started talking actually uh, mm-hmm. came across my field division uh you mentioned where was it for this lowering speed limit that they're relying on all on these concepts and data from other cities etc god knows there's a place in winnipeg where if you don't go faster than 30 you're going to end up getting stuck in the snow because you don't have enough momentum to to get up and down the street oh but, yeah yeah you know god forbid anybody understand that part of the part of the problem especially when there's heavy drifting uh, uh snow pushed up around corners Right. Uh, coming coming into stop signs, areas where there's parking, 
uh, some of the time, but not others, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, you mentioned this concept, this, this uh, idea you had, or this, this observation you had, rather, that w- w- why don't they rely on, on data and, and, you know, provide a report? Well, lo and behold, uh, since this, this came from uh, this uh, lowered speed limit, came from Councillor Luke's, speaking of reports, I don't know if you saw this. Okay. This is in the free press on uh, January 13th. Despite being a counselor since 2014, Councillor Luke said she sometimes needs newspaper reports to help sort out confusion about details that were initially shared through published city reports. <laughs> to be frank, I get more clear information out of media than some of these convoluted bureaucratic reports. But miraculously, it would appear on the surface that whatever reports they got about lowering speed limits were fine and dandy. Oh, just like Sarah Candy. Yeah, I think she's like a really explaining to me like I'm five type of person. Luke's believes city messages and rules can be most confusing when writers use too many acronyms, vague terms, or highly technical phrases. Oh. Oh she said the city God. should strive to ensure as many residents as possible can understand all public documents relating to related city bylaws, rules, and policy updates. I was fielding and trying to decipher so many bylaws, and there were so many questions. It's complicated for me, and I'm working this realm every day. Well. You think you'll get better at it then? You're working <laughs> at it every day. Well, this this is the legacy of Brian Bowman, a guy who got elected, claiming he's going to change City Hall. And one thing he did not change, and Janice Luke was there the entire time Brian Bowman was there. And as mayor, the one thing he did not change was making sure that city reports were written in plain English. Meanwhile, on this subject. Uh, if I might continue for a moment, Kenny, Councillor Brian Mays said he has wondered if the language used in city reports and notices about zoning changes prevents some residents from taking more interest in city hall matters. Reading some of the reports that we get, said Brian Mays, you still just wring your hands sometimes. The ambiguity of things and the use of jargon is familiar to the report writers that isn't familiar to the councillors of the public. That can be very off-putting. He noted questions at committee meetings have sometimes been devoted to determining the meaning of statements in reports. In other words, a bureaucracy's been leading council around by the nose. Brian Bowman was fine to have it happen that way. Councillors waste time having asking questions that they shouldn't need to ask because the bureaucrats for years, and certainly for the eight years of Brian Bowman, have been have gotten away with writing reports that are confusing, time-wasting, unclear, shut people out of the process. Now, Kenny, for the punchline, because I know you'll enjoy this, as will our audience. Okay. In April 2022, in other words, when Bowman was getting ready for the door to hit him in the scrawny ass on the way out, Councillor's Executive Policy Committee approved Luke's motion to create a plain language communications policy with a report due back on the topic in about six months. Kenny, will do some fast math here. April to May to June to July to August, September to October. Okay, then the election's October. So basically, November or December when Council comes back in a session. Fair? Yeah, yeah. However, city officials confirmed Friday the report is not complete and staff will ask for more time at the January 17th EPC meeting. In other words, later this week. Maybe they don't know what plain language means. <sighs> it's plain. taken them six months to make sure that things are written in a way that counselors don't waste time, that things are understood and the public can be engaged. Everybody responsible. Listen carefully because I know city councilors listen to this podcast. Everyone responsible needs to be, because I can't say fire, you don't fire anybody. What kind of discipline? What are the consequences? There's been none for years. We've seen the tail wag the dog down there. 
And again, some counselors, I'm alleging that asserting the mayor used it to his advantage. Clearly, when it came to questions of bike lanes and slow lower speed limits, the anti-car lobby has used it to their advantage. And the pro-ticketing lobby, too. Yes, lower sir. speed limits, bigger fines. That's right. More money, more money. They need more money. Well, you know, you're saying they need more money. I'll, let me tell you one thing that City Hall apparently spent money on this past weekend. Oh, God. Amazing how this works. Uh, City Council had uh, one of these team building sessions. I, 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 Kenny, I don't know if you, in any of the places you've worked, if you've ever had one of these things. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, yeah, right, they're, they're right, pretty okay. standard nowadays. Standard. Is it standard to go to uh, Elkhorn? You got their, uh, no, I knew Manitoba Hydro used to do things like that. Yeah, well, um, this is our elected officials, and they went to Elkhorn for some team building and, I guess, policy priority setting. And uh, I, presumably, there is presumably, uh, and they socialized, you know, they could socialize in the evenings. And so that, that was the concept. Um, did they follow the COVID protocols properly? That's the only thing I'm really concerned about. Which protocols? I mean, yeah, that's what I'm saying. No, which protocols are you asking about? Any. If they Any. Well, all the protocols. I don't know. I don't know if the protocols allow people to take their family or not, but apparently families went on this. I don't know whether the costs were borne entirely by the taxpayer. I don't know how that broke down uh, one way or the other. I'm guessing the Councilor Santos is a part of the team building. She probably proposed, let's have an arm wrestling tournament or something. But <laughs> <laughs> no, what that would be awesome if that was on like Twitch or something. Them doing their arm wrestling, I, I, to- <laughs> I totally would have subscribed to that. I would have given them money. <laughs> I would have given them all my bits. Can you imagine <laughs> Councilor Dawson Dobson arm wrestling like Matt Allard or something? I can, and I think that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so they off they went to Elkhorn. Now, what did they discuss at Elkhorn? Uh. Uh, I, I, and I don't know, so I'm just sort of putting it out there. What kinds of things they discuss? Well, they they surely discuss, for instance, transit, right? Yeah. You yeah. think? Because how do they not? Because last week before they left, the bus shack at City Hall had a broken window. Someone had put a curtain up, and uh, there was Christmas decorations hung up in, as well in there. Another nice. uh, an, another bus shack. This one right uh, at Winnipeg City Hall. A complete disaster, a complete mess, unusable by the general public, right outside their front door. This is as absurd as the good old days when the Leland Hotel had an active and profitable bootlegging industry run out of it right across the street from City Hall (laughs) and the cop shop for many years when Winnipeg was more like the Wild West. Um, Last week on Twitter, well, it started on Facebook and I brought it over to Twitter, there was an an incident regarding transit that I certainly hope city council spoke about because I know that uh, a few of them would have been aware of this. A Facebook post in the Facebook transit users group. Tell me how how this is okay, wrote a mother. My 16-year-old is just headed to school, goes to use an older ticket, meaning from the 2022, and the rates went up from $3.10 to 315 on January 1st. She uses a ticket from 2022, bus ticket, can't find the extra nickel she grabbed to cover the difference when the bus came. Instead of letting it go over a nickel after she'd already put a ticket in, the bus driver proceeded to tell her if she couldn't find the nickel, 
she could get off the bus. Oh, wow. She asked for her ticket back. And he just yelled at her to get off the bus and drove away. Great job, number 19, headed to Windsor Park about 15 minutes ago. You're a real MVP. That What's worse is I watch people get on without even attempting to pay all the time. And you're going to not only keep her ticket, but kick her off over a fucking nickel. That's a joke. Isn't there usually like a grace period where they're like, yeah, you can still use no, it? No, I think there used to be, Kenny. But under this administration, this would be a leftover from, from Bowman. Uh, and how this became a bit of a deal on Twitter is because I tagged Mayor Gillingham and said, fix this. And about an hour later, Transit's tweeting at me. Can you tell us what the, you know, give us a link to the Facebook group or where did this happen? So I went back to the Facebook group and the mother could confirm this was Monday around 11.02 a.m. on the 19th. Uh, and, uh, I will be providing, I, I've, I've tried to get her to message me back. She hasn't yet because that they would like her direct information, but I'm going to provide them with, uh, with indirect information, uh, and, uh, let them, let transit, uh, resolve this with the mother. Let's talk about how inexcusable this is, Kenny, that a 16 year old girl, this is a 16 year old girl yeah. in modern day Winnipeg, not a 16 year old in 19, you know, when I, 1976, 86, 96 trying to go to school and over a nickel over a nickel when you you name the bus route the sergeant so, the, the 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 uh sergeant bus route the the 16 the 18 you name these bus routes and anybody who takes the, uh, a number of these routes that, that traverse the city will tell you that they see every like every ride they see multiple people for years have gotten on without even making an attempt to pay what does this child world-class city what does this child learn by trying to do the right thing and then on top of that <clears throat> i realize there's only like one or two lawyers on city council nowadays but it strikes me that this is an abject ripoff from a consumer point of view when you buy that ticket it's worth a ride and somehow the city of winnipeg now thinks that when people have bought a ride that they didn't need to avail themselves of during 2022 and like a gift card it doesn't expire and I don't yeah. see why it would, but they try to grind a child for five cents. Again, she, another legacy of Brian Bowman's Winnipeg. And she's a regular, clearly. If she's using that bus to go to school, they would have known who she yes. is for a couple of years. So it's yes. not like they, it's not like she's a a, a bad she's person. A, you know, she doesn't do it consistently. Yeah, she's not a derelict. She's not a bum. She's trying to get an education. Get off the bus. And this is in January. This isn't get off the bus in May. Not that she'd be told to get off the bus, in my opinion, at any time. You know, cab drivers, cab drivers have been told, and this goes back a few years, uh, with issues of customers, and they threw me out because they didn't have the fare, right? So cab drivers have all this pressure on them for years uh, about uh, about how to handle these kinds of situations. Does this go by the book of how bus drivers are supposed to handle the situation for a child? That, now, she might have gotten mouthy. I don't blame her. The driver clearly got mouthy. Because the driver never should have uh, pursued this. Do you have the nickel? No. Okay. Give it to us next time. And the next time she rides the bus, she'll put in 320 or 325. Yeah. Like, like if they let her on, nothing would have changed. Right? If they let her, would have rode that bus without the nickel, she would have got to school on time. But nothing in the driver's life would have changed if he would have said, yeah, come on the bus. Transit's bottom line, depending on. So I hope to God, and especially the mothers on city council, and the fathers too, like Matt Allard. He's got a, a 
uh, daughter who's probably junior high now. Uh, I, you know, I, I know of this. There are other counselors uh, uh, that, that have kids and some that don't. But I hope the ones that are parents, I hope they get they, they talk about this and I hope they think long and hard. And I don't want to hear, oh, well, we're just going to let trans. No, you have to make a goddamn statement. That this is wrong. That this is you ready for this, Kenny? Unwelcoming, mm. not inclusive. What again? What and what lesson? What is the message sent to other teenagers? Why bother even trying to pay? They're just going to rip you off for your bus ticket. Yeah. That's so maybe, sad. Maybe that was, may, hey, who knows? Maybe this was discussed in a report, but the language is so convoluted, the counselors didn't realize this was going to be the transit policy. Maybe all the transit people should go to that Elkhorn resort and they can talk about it. It would be nice. One like, thing you can, like a nickel isn't even like a tax. It isn't even PST or GST on the the three dollars. How many? How again? Did we not? Was there not an estimate during the during the civic election or an estimate in one of these reports last year? Uh, how many millions the city is losing in lost fares? And instead, I mean, essentially, this is theft. You're a nickel, but because is this isn't where you're trying to buy something, you're shoplifting it. This yeah. is where she, her, her, her mother, whatever. When they bought the ticket, it was worth a ride. Yeah, this they're not showing up with a ticket from like, you know, 1985 when it was like whatever, a quarter or 35 cents or something. No, that's silly. That's you too can't bad. even call this Mickey Mouse. I mean, this isn't even this is mean spirited. It's this this demonstrates a lack of commitment to serving the public. Did did city councilors discuss that? And I, that's that's what the only do we think transit is here to serve public? I haven't seen, I haven't heard them. I haven't, I don't think I've heard them say that in a long time. I think maybe, the I, union, maybe I missed I, it. Maybe I missed it, Marty. I but. think the union claims that that's what they're in the, in the business of, but the union's in the business of, you know, taking care. And I'm not saying drivers haven't had a lot of challenges the last few years, but I, Oh no, no, not at all. But, and they have, so I want to be fair. The union's spoken up about the safety of fare paying passengers. But this is just, again, poor example. This is the kind of thing gets, that would gets a city, uh, like on a, on a U.S. late-night talk show, uh, the subject of, ja- of jibes and jabs from a comic. <laughs> and this city threw her off. And they kept the ticket. Oh. We have a report on location. It shows a reporter bundled up right in the middle of a blizzard. Like, why? Why? So I hope the parents on city council and I know some of the and and the rest of you that are listening, make sure everybody else listens, even just to this segment. Please make a statement that teenagers are not good. Never mind teenagers. Nobody should be treated. But a teenage girl and you're throwing her off the bus. And where did she get asked to get off the bus? I don't know where she started. It it was it's a I think it was either it was going to Windsor Park. I'm not sure it was in Windsor Park at the time. Uh, The destination was Windsor Park because presumably she goes to one of the schools that way. Right. Someone Uh, that we pay money to provide a service. For us, told one of us off. Yes. Doesn't make any sense. Welcome to Winnipeg. Oh, yeah, I know that. Now, Kenny, in the realm of uh, people serving the public or not serving the public, <laughs> and and uh, your uh, ongoing comparison of news coverage, the intention of City Councilor, Fort Rouge City Councilor Sherry Rollins, oh, yeah. to uh, 
explore the possibilities of greener greener pastures uh, came to our attention. But in particular, I want to defer to you because you had the time this week to compare some of the stories and you found some bizarre anomalies in how her intended elevation to the House of Commons uh, to replace Jim, her intention to replace Jim Carr, uh, how that was portrayed. You found that uh, these stories don't necessarily add up the same way. That's right. So let's uh, we're going we're going to compare and contrast three stories: CTV, CBC, and Global News. Now Sherry Rollins just got elected what a couple of months ago, and she's looking for a bid in the federal uh, Liberal Party. Uh, we'll look at the CTV story by Jeff Keel again. I guess that's the he's the only one that works at CTV. <laughs> I don't think he's left yet. Uh, Sherry Rollins. This is from the story. Sherry Rollins. The councillor for Fort Rouge and East Fort Gary is looking at the Liberal nomination for Winnipeg South Centre. The seat is open following the death of MP Jim Carr. She said she has been encouraged by people in the community to seek the nomination for what she calls a strategic seat. So uh, this is our race question. Who in the community is asking Sherry Rollins to run for, uh, well, run the, for the, the federal office? The, the, the inference from that, if I can just make an observation the inference from that reporting is people in the community would imply voters in lord in fort rouge and lord roberts which is i think uh uh, at, um, uh you know like the, the whole south osborne area i think is is uh quite a bit of her base the inference is that people that just encouraged her to run for re-election at city council worked on her campaign and supported her a re-election bid that those people are saying hey you know what you should run uh, to replace Jim Carr. That's the inference. Yep. It's yeah, like the right. grassroots uh, is the way I read that. I, I listen to that. That's what I get out of it. Okay. And then uh, further on in the story, it says, they're quoting uh, her, making sure the Winnipeg agenda is in front of is front and center and prioritizing Ottawa is why ultimately I'll be letting my name stand, uh, she told CTV. Now, I don't know about you, Marty, but I think that a, a second-term politician that had a 75% voting rating uh, the first time she got elected would be able to affect Winnipeg more by staying here in Winnipeg as a city councillor. But she's also the chair of what? Some sort of board. Protection? Protection she's the and chair parks? Chair. Yeah. Yeah. So she's got a lot of pull. So she And she had pull under, under Bowman uh, because she was chair of... Uh, chair, I'm trying to, remember, trying to remember what she was chair of under under Bowman, and then she got a, another chairmanship. Uh, chair, yeah, that's the way it would be put. Chairmanship when Gillingham uh, assumed office. And so, so she she's a smart cookie. People like her in the community, and she's figured out the ins and outs of uh, City Hall already. So yes. wouldn't she be more effective here if she really wanted to change Winnipeg? Um, back to the CTV article though. Roland's just won re-election three months ago. Uh, for our council spot, Aaron Moore, who is associate professor at the department uh, chair of University of Winnipeg Political Science Department, said that the timing could be problematic for her. It could raise questions about her long-term commitment to maintain the role of counselor within the community that could have a pretty significant negative impact on her. Kenny, which 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 uh, political science professor said that? That was Alan Moore from the associate professor and department chair at the University of Winnipeg Political Science Department. Okay, and he's saying that this calls into question how committed she would be to performing her duties at City Hall because she's got her eyes on two different things at the same time. That is right. Okay. So Roland says that she'll stay as a counselor, even if she wins the nomination and won't step down unless she wins the election or wins the by-election. 
I've never yeah. felt like someone's second choice before, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> one of the comments she made in in one of the stories was, uh, I have a day job. I have a family. In those 151 days sitting in the House of Commons, five months away from family is a tough call. Well, get this. This is even better than this one. I have a job to do. I've I fought elections having a full-time day job, sometimes two. So she's she's had elections where she's had two day jobs. Well, wait, but wait, wait, wait. Her day job, I think what she. And I know that there was some question about this around 510 Main Street when she started talking about things about a job, whether what she was talking about. It seems that she considers being a city councillor as her job. So that's her one of her jobs. But what about her? But uh, where's the uh, second job? job? That, that confuses me. What was her second job? Because I don't know of any city councillor that it has. And I, I in recent times, in the old days, it was a part time thing. And they had you know, insurance agencies and this and that. But I'm not sure of any councillor that where this isn't their full time vocation for even for the money they get paid, uh, which, you know, isn't exactly it's, it's a good living, but it's not exactly making anybody rich. However, being a member of parliament, as we've seen, those people get, can get rich and often do somehow. That's right. So now we're going to move to the CBC story. Okay. A um, little further down from the, the headline. Roland said she gave the idea some serious consideration after receiving an encouraging message from supporters who have followed her political journey. So I guess she has uh, super fans of some sort. Okay, sure. Uh, next, we go on to say they sent her letters through the Invite Her to Run initiative on the liberal website, which seeks to increase the number of women in federal politics. Well, that's, that's a little bit different than what the CTV story said. I never even heard of this Invite Her to Run initiative. Have well, you no, heard of it before? It's a party initiative. So, so you're saying that one news story says that she's being told to run by the grassroots, but what she tells another news outlet is, is that she's being urged to run by liberal party, by people that are liberal party partisans in particular, that want her to fill a slot on the basis of uh, of uh, you know employment equity, since she considers this her job. Now, if this is true that this there's this invite her to run campaign and it's successful and got her to run in federal politics, I mean, isn't that a success story for for getting more women in politics? So I don't know why she's, they would leave that out. Po- she's already in politics, though. Yeah, exactly. Federal politics, exactly. Uh, I, I know that that uh, one pundit pointed out that the the, the riding uh, is two and a half times the size of a city ward. And so it, it where evidently she said that she wouldn't drop the seat until after the by-election, after she runs. Um, uh, as one person put it, to pretend one could do the work of not only a councillor, but a standing committee chairperson at the same time as they're running to win a nomination uh, is uh, totally unbelievable is a term that this person uh, uh, put online. That's right. That's right. So, uh, uh, yeah, sorry, go. So, well, Kenny, again, to go over this, this perspective, you're saying that, that there seems to be different reasons depending on who is being talked to. But one reason nobody really talked to was uh, was the fact that a, a member of parliament gets $189,700. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no one, no one bought up the the pay increase, which and, is uh, better benefits too, right? Isn't the pension better? Oh yeah, well, for sure. I'm quite confident of that. Yeah. Um, Has she already qualified for a city of Winnipeg pension yet? I don't. Th- I I think the city I think abolished. If I remember correctly, the city abolished pensions uh, in the 2018 starting the 2018 election. So I don't think she's got a city hall pension. Oh, oh, that's interesting. Uh, um. 
Now, another thing that was interesting was uh, here she is uh, again in these comments in the media uh, that that uh, sort of jumped out a little bit uh, that uh, she had uh, said that she had worked on the re-election campaigns at various times of Anita ne- of Lloyd Axford, the Anita Neville, uh, the late uh, Jim Carr. Uh, there's one other name in in that mix I don't remember. Uh, off to, uh, probably Terry Duguid. Um but uh, nobody had ever heard of Sherry Rollins as a as a liberal. And what? for what it's for what it's worth, no. Michael Diamond, a, a known a well known conservative strategist and uh, some would say agitator and uh, uh, all around uh, funny guy and carnivore, uh, he took note of this on Twitter. Uh, Asking, I'm curious on when the council decided to become a liberal, further proof the one centrist party of Christian and Martin is dead. And in fact, uh, he dug up, and I think this is uh, this was definitive, uh, a search on the Elections Canada website for donations. And I would think that any hits that came up would would show. Uh, and in this case, uh, and I, I'm, I don't think I missed anything, but it appears that the only donation she made was to the federal NDP, not to the federal Liberal Party. And in particular, this was to... Uh, Winnipeg Center and uh, uh, Winnipeg uh, Kildonan and Kildonan and St. Paul, uh, and made one, two, three, four, five, six donations to the NDP. Okay. Now there are people that make donations to different political parties, different candidates in the interest of of, of a healthy democracy, and I, I get that. But in this case, um, it, it seems unusual uh, that somebody would say that they had worked on a bunch of liberal campaigns, but there's no evidence, but, but they had actually contributed uh, to, mind you, I, I, you know, in her, I guess in her defense, it doesn't show that she donated to uh, any non-liberal in Winnipeg South Centre. But Marty, why did Global News have this paragraph? Rollins, who described herself as a longtime supporter of the federal liberals, said she would continue on as counselor if she received a, the nomination and step down from city council gig if she won the by-election. Well, she has no choice but to step down if she wins the by-election. But she's and a long-time she, supporter of the federal liberals, Marty. I just right there, long-time yeah, supporter. I, Global I, news I, went live, Marty. Now, uh, the question, of course, came up, and this is why I'm wondering if any of this was was discussed at the at Elkhorn, maybe privately in a it whispers among the councillors <laughs> that you've got a councillor who's who's claiming that they're going to be able to run again. And and since this started breaking, uh, Jim Carr's son, Ben, uh, who's in his mid-30s, has said that he's going to run to replace his father. So now she's got the car machine against her. There were were certainly comments that her her, uh, telling the press she intended to run uh, was uh, seen by some as opportunistic. She denied that's the case. Saying she finds, yeah, she finds to keep her current council position until after the by-election. Continue working a job while you're seeking nomination, even while you're running. If I receive a new job through the by-election, then I'll leave. Hmm. If she opted to run in the legislature, uh, electorals would require to quit her council position before filing nomination papers. So that's an interesting loophole that maybe somebody's going to have to discuss at some point. Maybe. Uh, and uh, the mayor issuing a statement earlier this week that a lot of people missed on Wednesday. I wouldn't be removing her from EPC uh, for a federal nomination. A counselor does not have to step down. What's important to me is to make sure all EPC members, including Councilor Rollins, are able to fulfill their workload. In a follow-up statement, meaning Gillingham or his team 
thought better of it. In a follow-up statement, Gillingham noted further conversations may be had on the matter should Rollins win the nomination. He's confident Rollins will inform him if the campaign, the campaign conflicts with their work at City Hall. Here's my problem with it, and in the long overdue <laughs> interview that we're going to be doing with Mayor Gillingham, I'm going to put it to him, and I don't mind saying it. Um, here you have somebody who intends to run for federal office. How, how do we, and it is not particular to Sherry Rollins, but to any uh, council member who has this intention that is chair of a committee. Now anything that they do as chair of the committee is going to end up on their political resume at the same time as they're running to win a nomination. I just got this passed, and I just approved funding for that, and blah, 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 blah. And so they can leverage their active influence over city policy to their advantage in an active nomination process. And to me and other people, that comes across as undermining not just democracy, but undermining public trust in uh, in elected officials. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the one CTV uh, analyst said that, right? But no other newspaper said how troubling that is. In fact, no, they aren't troubled by it at all. Uh, this what one is this? This is the CBC. They even talked to the political studies professor at the University of Manitoba, Royce Coop. And they said in an interview at the Winnipeg uh, that Winnipeg South Centre is a natural liberal seat, not only falls to the Conservatives when border conditions favor the right party. Doesn't mention anything about how poor it looks for Sherry to be jumping ship from the city of Winnipeg to try to get into the federal liberals. Kenny, just to be clear in terms of you picking up this and, and, and looking at the different stories, I looked at some of the stories, but you, you basically looked at all of them uh, to provide this analysis. Um, the way you look at this, you don't think she should be continuing as uh, as a committee chair? No, no. If she's running, if she wants to run for the federal Liberal Party, she should quit. She should leave the uh, councillor seat because she's holding it hostage right now. Holding it hostage. That's an interesting point of view. Yeah, you, you, so you're, you're, you're looking at as that, that basically this, she's looking she's looking at public service as a job. Like she was a member of the civil service. Yes. You know that it's interesting because who was it in the civic election? Was it Rana? Who I also, by the way, anticipate to make a run at the River Heights. Well, maybe not now with Ben Carr running, but I thought Rana was going to, uh, she certainly would have been sniffing around at looking at, at trying to move up to federal politics. But Rana described herself as a civil servant, which I remember we talked about on the podcast is a little odd. because She's never been elected to anything and running for election is, a civil servant is somebody who works in the uh, it's literally civil servant in the bureaucracy. Yeah, so that's right. It, it seems like there's a generation of politicians that that um I, I'm I, I can't quite define this, but they have a point of view about about uh, uh, about being on like a mission, but it's a job. And yeah, I I, I personally job. find the two as being mutually exclusive. And the other thing is, I think you mentioned Winnipeg Agenda. What is the Winnipeg Agenda, Kenny? Oh, well, I don't know, Marty. I read a couple of articles, and I cannot find out what the Winnipeg Agenda is, but it is brought up a couple of times. It do, doesn't it stand a reason when Dan Vandell a, a lit, lighted, from city council and uh, won election as a liberal in uh, uh, whatever, whichever election it was. I can't remember if it was 20, probably 2015, actually. Uh, that Dan Vandell, I never heard him talk about advancing the Winnipeg agenda in, in Ottawa. And I would think that Vandell, uh, you think of the other guys that are there, Lamaru, right? Yeah. Uh, so the global news uh, article says 
but there's a Winnipeg agenda that I've been working on at City Hall, and I could envision working on in Ottawa. Listen, no one in Ottawa cares about Winnipeg. Very few people. Very, I'll say less than seven people in Ottawa care about Winnipeg. Uh, well, there's 14. Well, yeah, you're, you're yeah, you're, you're, I'm not going to argue with you there, buddy. <laughs> I think you're on to something. Uh, uh, the CBC story has that I don't think it re- it's really important that we have folks that know what the Winnipeg agenda or sorry. I don't think it's really important. Uh, sorry. I do think that it's really important that we have folks that know what the Winnipeg agenda is that knows that we need to reignite downtown and the Cory area initiatives uh, knows that so we have multiple like infrastructure worthy. projects. Area, wait, Cory area initiatives. So she talks like Axworthy already and infrastructure. Um, you know, another thing I, I didn't spot till just now in reviewing the free press story uh, where Gillingham said that he's not going to be moving her from EPC. I appreciate Roland stole the free press. Uh, that there is a cynical story here in the trope of someone always eyeing the next seat, but that isn't the case. Each and huh. every time I run for political office has been about defining the job because she was a school trustee previously. Should I mention that? So she's gone from school trustee to city council, now looking at federal at a federal seat. It's been about defining the job and making sure I can deliver on it. But how, how if she's if any candidate says I've been encouraged by um, partisan party members through an initiative to uh, uh, increase the representation of women or any any you know, minority. I think that specifically is eyeing the next seat, like by definition, isn't it? Maybe I'm missing something. No, that's exactly what it is. This, see, this is good political talk where she says exactly the exact opposite of what's going on. And the media, and, and in your estimation, the media reports did not, with the exception of a couple of the professors, but in terms of the reporting itself, it didn't pick up on it and certainly didn't, didn't reflect the voices of anybody who thinks, uh, as you do, that, I mean, essentially what you're saying is this is a betrayal of the voters in October. Oh, yeah, it's just a, a few months ago, and, and she's bailing already from her spot. Would you suggest, Kenny, that if it was your two or three of, of, her, uh, of her enshrinement at council in, uh, in this term, that that would be better? Or do you think under all circumstances, a counselor who seeks higher political office uh, should has abdicated in effect uh, their responsibility to the public or is indicating they will be abdicating and therefore they should be gotten rid of sooner rather than later. That's what I think. Yeah. Get rid of sooner rather than later. Uh, Because how, how, okay. You're, you're, you only have so much bandwidth. You only have so many hours in a day. How are you supposed to do all the, your federal stuff and also do all your city stuff. And you're not going to pay special attention to the people in your ward. Or are you going to pay special attention to uh, everyone in your your uh, const in your federal? And, and, and the other thing is that her ward. I haven't looked at an overlay uh, map. I, I should have probably. Uh, but but um, her her ward is not going to be able. I don't think to deliver her that seat because it's much more than what is in her ward. Now this is something I should have looked up. How many other people ran against her uh, for the? A whole bunch this last time, and she. So there's a lot of people that want her her job at City well, Hall. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, there were certainly a number of people, considering she was an incumbent, that that ran against her. Uh, and and the first time she was elected, it was very very close. It was like thirty. Was it against Jeff Palmer and a number of other people were in that yeah. race as well? And I think she won by about two hundred 
uh, maybe 200 votes, I think. I, I might I might be off. It was a close race, though. I know it was a close race. It was a lot less close this time. Uh, final word on this, and then we'll hit for a, for a break. Uh, the very close longtime assistant to Jim Carr and a, and a friend of this program, Jeff Kovalik-Ploof. Uh, Jeff posted something publicly, a picture of himself with Jim, uh, a, a shot of Jim, I guess, being interviewed in the House of Commons, Jeff in the background. Um, and he posted after these news stories arose uh, about uh, Councillor Rollins. No one wanted to be thinking about a by-election right now or ever. Jim's death has been emotionally difficult on so many people, including myself. To lose a friend, mentor, and someone who meant so much to our community isn't an opportunity to instantly advance your career, in my opinion. And that's from a long-term established, dyed-in-the-red liberal, uh, sharing the view of some that this uh, came across as... uh, somewhat clumsy i'm trying to be as polite as possible but some people are really not happy with how this uh hypothesis of a city councilor running uh for federal uh election two months after the three is three months not even three months since the polls closed and and again as you said nobody in the media seems to have mentioned uh yeah it's a tough call but uh, god knows for a lot a lot of people if they're making eighty nine thousand or whatever as a city councilor, hundred thousand, they have a chance to go to one eighty nine in Ottawa and free flights and not be around the screaming kids for five months of the year. And you know, she's—I give her credit. She's talking about going to work every day. Unlike the he who would be her leader, Justin Trudeau, how often does he show up in the House of Commons? Not too often. And there's really no urgency to get someone in there right away. They said there's no date for the Liberal nomination and by-election yeah. must be called. By June 11th. So it's not that the by-election has to happen on June 11th. They just have to call it by June 11th. Well, no, it, it once they call it, it's got to be held. I think it would have to be held within 35 days of election day. It would have to be within 35 days of that six-month time frame. So basically, so, so it has to have like by seven, seven and a half by, months from yeah. the seat becoming open until it's filled again. Unless it's within nine months of the next federal election. I suppose that's the other possibility is that Trudeau could... Uh, Keep an eye on things, see how much worse inflation and other factors could get. And she's running for a nomination that isn't a by-election. And before we go to the break and before I forget, Kenny, you know another thing nobody talked about? You remember what what, what was raised during the civic election about how much money Glenn Murray had cost the city when there was a by-election oh, to replace him? That guy. Yeah. How much how much money does a by-election replace a city councillor cost? Oh, I don't know. Well, You'd think that one of the news stories, one of these uh, professional journalists would have put some thought into that because, uh, granted, she may not win the nomination. And then she's just sort of been distracted <laughs> from her duties at City Hall. But if she wins the nomination, uh, that costs the city of Winnipeg. And she's and at that stage, you're right. Within a year, uh, I'm trying to think of how soon that by-election will have to be called, probably also within six months. So, you know, for somebody in that position, you could see how this is rubbing people the wrong way. And with Kenny, it rubs him. Uh, uh, completely the wrong way. Well, to just the media right coverage rubs me the wrong way. Like, is this a, a great opportunity uh, that was spurred on by a, a letter run campaign, or or was it just uh, community members asking her to run? Or or again, was it people who have been involved in her campaign from the beginning, the kind of people that support her politically? As I think she used the yeah. phrase, people who followed her career. And and how do you how does anybody convince voters that it isn't political opportunism? I say that because it's inevitable that whoever 
uh, the conservatives are going to try to take a run at the seat. It is staunch liberal territory, but uh, Pierre Polyev certainly has appeal in different quarters, uh, and and that can't be repudiated. Uh, the base of name calling, uh, no matter how hard people try, uh, and uh, surely to God, anyone running against her, uh, against any city councilor who tries a move like this, abandoning, willing, announcing a willingness to walk away from city hall after three months of a 48-month term, it's it's going to be leveraged against her, and it's going to be a hard, I would think, for a campaign to finesse the the messaging to go. Oh no, that's not really what it is. It's like it's like quitting a job while you're still on probation. Well. <laughs> if if you were on probation in a workplace, uh, I guess I'll be federal is 90 days, I think. Or is that provincial? Uh, and, it depends what workplace. And, but yeah. and, and in that 90 day period, you say you tell you say I'm going to be happy to I'm happily considering taking another job somewhere else. That, again, similar to Bowman, that door's hitting you in the ass on the way out. That's indisputable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Penny, you're going to keep an eye on uh, on. Contradictory media reports uh, on an ongoing basis here for the next while, and I think we're—I mean, that's all in the realm of. It's I, ha- not I have a—I have a Google alert set up for Winnipeg, so yes, I, I look at that every day now. That wasn't fake news. It was just. This is. By the time you're done with the news, it's fake because there's nothing real in it. Well, well, what is what is real when each news outlet who gets money from the federal government has a different story? Well, it's okay to have a different story, but what they've got is a different explanation. Yeah, they can all they can all take a different take on it. Well, Rollins, the family angle, for instance, or you know, they, there's different angles on it. But uh, also, nobody, you know, nobody picked up that again. I've never, I've never heard her described as a liberal ever, and she's even for the modern day liberal party, uh, she's she's way, way to the left. Not according to Global News, they said that she's a lifelong liberal. Uh, well, m- maybe we'll have to set an inquiry to Global News in regards to that. Uh, but then again, do they really care about proving what they write about anybody? Yeah, see, that's what they report about right? anybody nowadays. That's what they hey, federal subsidies. That's kind of journalism you get. That's why you have an alternative. You Sorry, support. She's our not work. a lifelong liberal. She's a lifelong liberal supporter. Supporter. Sorry, I forgot the word supporter there. Even though she yeah. was making donations to the. NDP and was yeah. was clearly an NDP aligned school trustee. She, you know, like I, it's it's it just and the listen, it's a strange story and the reporting didn't do it any favors. And as I was saying, the reporting subsidized by the federal government. You want real news? You want you want real analysis? You've got an option, and here we are. And you're not gonna nobody else is gonna be comparing the news stories and and as Kenny did and discovering what was clearly. There's a lot of angles they didn't talk about in this story, and it's not the only one where things are missed or things are are just, you know, they aren't what they seem to be presented as. I think that's a nice, fair way of describing it. Yes, what is real is what we'll we'll say. We try to we try to keep it real here. Off to the <laughs> off to the we try to keep it real keep around it real. here. Off to the, yes, off to the break and uh, back with uh, crime. Uh, Look at the crime scene and some crime statistics. Again, maybe the kind of thing that city council should have been discussing at Elkhorn when they were, uh, pay, you know, picking over the uh, the catered meals or whatever. Uh, and so uh, we'll be back with uh, with uh, more right after this right after this break. Oh, I got this is uh, from the CDs actually. I broke out, so this is going to be a good one. Yeah, this, this from this the archive. Break, 
This is from the archives, my CD archives. <laughs> from the Great Canadian Talk Show archives, an oldie but a goodie here in the break and back with more here on the podcast. I am now so pleased to be joined for a few moments by uh, none other than Adam West. Because of your role as, as the mayor of the fictional town of Quahog in Rhode Island, uh, we also have a fictional place on this radio program, thanks to a local newspaper that uh, doesn't bother proofreading their copy. Yes. They ran a column, and they said that so-and-so was the uh, correspondent for Ortarlia, which is a unique way of misspelling Australia. Uh, and I've been asked uh, by the executive council around uh, the Great Canadian Talk Show if you would accept the honorary position as Consul General of Ortarlia. I would be pleasured, honored, and I'd treat it with such respect. Be able to have you on this program once a year to make the official State of Ortarlia address. Well, that's great. And let us know everything's going in our fictional republic here on the Great Canadian Talk Show. Well, and, and also, can I now mention that we will now have diplomatic relations with your town of Quahog as well. Yes, that's great. Especially our tourist season. <laughs> and we have a giant clam day. Send the check, baby. Well, can he really have did yourself with that break <laughs> in digging that up? Ortarlia, hail Ortarlia. And that, of course, was Adam West, uh, the mayor of Quahog on Kick FM uh, with us. And that was uh, for Comic-Con and holy crow, was it 2009, I guess? Something like that. Uh, and I got to interview him and Julie Newmar. Uh, what a thrill that was. I've met a few of the stars of television from when I was a kid. Uh, like a little kid, uh, I've been able to meet them or interview them, uh, and so uh, I, I I know I, I know we got to go fast, but I remember being in the studio that day. That was a that was a a weird day that Adam West interview. That was super surreal. It really was, and that he and that he went along with it too. But uh, yeah, know, and we so got to cool. thank we have to thank the Free Press, which I I didn't check lately, but up till last year had never corrected that error and insisted that there was a continent called Artarlia, according to one of their columnists back in the day. Well, it, they used, to never called, it, it. used to be called Atlantis and now it's Artarlia. <laughs> Hail Artarlia, as we used to say on the air. Uh, but yeah, you got me good with, with uh, that one. I've, I, I, like I met Mickey Dolans. I met Walter Koenig from Star Trek, I- interviewed Julie Newmar, interviewed Adam West, as you just heard. Uh, it's some of the, some of the, the great thrills I've had in the course of my career in, in the, in media and case of the, the aforementioned uh, uh, monkey and Star Trek, uh, Star Trek ensign. Uh, I th- that was in the course of my work as a uh, film producer around the turn of the century, going to Sundance and such things. But uh, one of the bright things, bright lights of doing this kind of work, sometimes it's sometimes heavy on the politics and uh, uh, talking about, about, uh, about serious matters, but every once in a while we get to do something that's uh, fun and different and uh, and we're able to immortalize, such as uh, I guess Captain it's a Captain Audio did that one I think probably did the prep on that. Oh, for sure, hundred percent. Yeah, that's got all the earmarks of him with the music, and yeah. uh, we'll see what other delights we can pull out of the vault from time to time. Crime and safety report uh, coming up uh, right now. Uh, the the violence and depravity in Winnipeg knows no end. I hope that city councilors have talked about this, and I hope maybe somebody in the premier's office starts talking about this. It's two utter creeps tried to steal a service dog from a fellow at 6 a.m. on it says near McMicken and Sergeant McMicken is a back lane with a name that will be near excuse I guess it runs beside excuse uh, and uh, it's it's basically Langside okay 
he's out walking his dog at six in the morning. They stop and uh, they ask him for a, you know, this one report from City News leaves out. I'm sure I saw a report that said they asked him if he had a cigarette and asked to pet his dog. He said no. They grabbed the leash and threatened him with bear spray. He punched the suspects. The suspects, two women. He punched these women, and I hope he punched them hard because they tried to steal his dog at six in the morning, right? In on the street. They didn't wait till he walked by going down McMicken was basically a back lane and tried to jump him. They tried to thug him at six AM right out there on Sargent Avenue. Well that's like that's like normal times. That's like time people normally do things. That's just uh, Yes. You know something else people normally do? They normally bear spray police when they've been caught shoplifting, as was the case the next day on Friday. Cops responding to a (laughs) to a call of young people shoplifting is put I think this is also a city news report. Uh, a, a, a group of young people uh, shoplifting a store in the 900 block of Milt Stiegel Drive. In other words, if only we had a, a stadium and an arena, that's where you'd be. When they arrived, the two suspects fled in different directions. These kids are not, not rookies because they split up. One, while one resisted being arrested, the other pulled out a can of bear spray and used it. Let's see, is that Toys R Us? Something the twelve, uh, something the twelve and fourteen-year-old suspects were taken into custody, accused of stealing three boxes of confetti poppers and assaulting a sixty-one-year-old man. Don't know if it's a store clerk or a, a customer or a passerby bystander. In the process, twelve and fourteen armed with bear spray. Nine a.m. I think it said on no Friday afternoon. So one, okay, let's start asking the questions. First of all, was this an in-service day? Do these children have parents? If they don't have parents, who are the guardians? Who's responsible? Who is responsible for these children? Just asking. Nobody in the media ever asks. Are they words of the state? Apparently, it's supposed to be a big secret. What's going on here? It would be, Kenny, it's unfathomable that 12-year-olds and 14-year-olds are committing these kinds of crimes. Yeah, now, it, it's sad. Another story from City News that I have not seen replicated in other media outlets here, but I didn't take a, a long look. There's a lot of stuff that goes out that gets no circulation. The media outlets of Winnipeg are not very good at circulating and popularizing their own. It's like they want their reporting to be kept quiet sometimes. And you can see why, because some of the reporting that they're kind of forced into doing repudiates the narrative uh, that they're trying to advance out of these newsrooms. From City News, <clears throat> men and boys in Canada are expecting experiencing violence at a 12% higher rate than they were five years ago, according to a new report. What? And it quotes a former Winnipeg gang member. So that's nationally in five years of 12%. But what's happening with violence against men and boys locally? Matthew Willen is a former Winnipeg gang member. By the time I was 10 years old, I had already seen people get it with baseball bats. People get jumped, armed robberies, robberies with a machete. Lots of violence for sure, explained Willen. I wanted to emulate some of the people I saw doing these things as a kid, and I looked up to them. This led him to joining a gang. Hmm, this might explain what's happening with these 12 and 14-year-olds, and that reinforces when those influences are out there. Where are the responsible adults for these children? Why are none of them ever charged with negligence? 
Why are none of them ever held responsible? Because for a 12-year-old to be behaving like that, a 14-year-old, and this, by the way, isn't at random. I mean, these are clearly, apparently not siblings, but clearly pals. Now, this fellow makes the point, this Matthew Willen, I've never heard of him before. Good for him. I'm living, breathing proof. People can change and do change. He's devoted to youth work now. Now, That's good. That's good. That's a success story right there. Bingo. Let's go back to these rates. So nationally up 12%. The rate of violence against men and boys in Manitoba was 1,805 for every 100,000 males in the province. So that means in this province, a province of one point, is it 1.3 million? So is, that, is that where we're yeah. at, I think? Right? I think it's 1.3. Something it like 1. that, 3? yeah. 1.1 something. That's uh, 18,000 at least victims of violent crime, uh, 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 people who identify as male. 18,000. The rate for all of Canada per 100,000, 1,015. You, if you're a male, an adult male or a boy, you are almost twice as likely to be assaulted in Manitoba than in the rest of the country. Hello? Is uh, anybody paying attention to this? That makes sense. In Manitoba, the rate of violence against men and boys, and this is very clumsily written, in northern, in, in, it calls it the rural north. So I don't know if this excludes like Thompson and Flint Flon of the Paw or includes them. I'm not quite sure what rural north, if they're using rural as an adjective or if it's actually a statistical descriptor. Okay. Yeah. I'm guessing it, it's, it's just saying the north in Manitoba is rural because there are no big industrial centers, right? No big population mm-hmm. centers. The rate of violence against men and boys in the north compared to the rural south, it says, six times higher and five times higher than was documented in urban areas. So the rural south is bad. Urban areas, meaning Winnipeg, Brandon, maybe Dauphin, I guess, but really we know it's Winnipeg and Brandon that we drive in these kinds of statistics are, I guess, twice as bad. And then the north is five times as bad as the city and six times as bad as the rural south. So there's a big problem with a lot of violence against males in northern Manitoba in particular, but in the city of Winnipeg, as we've seen. In the city of Winnipeg, as Matthew Willen uh, explained to City TV, one of the drivers emulating gang behavior, which, by the way, hate to say it, exactly what Kevin Klein spent so much time talking about on this program after he was elected to the legislature in December. Exactly what Kevin was talking about. And this bears it out. And I'd be fascinated to see what city councillors and what the other MLAs think needs to be done about, about not, listen, gangs don't influence in a vacuum. This is because families don't take stands against it. This is because so many families are involved in it because it's been normalized in certain communities. And so somewhere around here, come, become, uh, the, uh, what gets introduced is the element of personal responsibility. Just making the suggestion. These crime statistics that it, in Manitoba, it's you're twice as li- almost twice as likely to be assaulted as anywhere else in Canada. Uh, that needs to be addressed and pronto because, again, this violence gets normalized. That's what – and, Kenny, what have we talked about recently, especially in the city, the violence committed by girls and girl gangs, mobs of girls? 
Oh yeah, it's it, it's always been an issue, but it's becoming more of an issue. Uh, well, uh, hopefully, uh, these these this recent reporting uh, will stir the attention of our elected officials, and in particular, not just the youth crime, but I keep hearing people stealing dogs, trying to steal dogs, people stealing cats inside apartment buildings. For God's sakes, will people leave other people's pets alone? What's the motive of stealing a pet? I just don't get it. Like, clearly, if you're stealing a pet, you're not that you don't have the pet's best interest at heart. Well, clearly, if you steal a pet, it should be good. It's it's a kind of kidnapping that should result. I don't care if they go to jail for a week. Somebody should be incarcerated for stealing a pet. Oh, that's disgusting. And on top of that, committing using violence to try to steal that. Well, that those two broads, they're going to go there. Well, I shouldn't even say they're going to anything's going to happen. They're going to go up the river. Who knows? Maybe somebody else made them do it. Maybe something that happened to generations past influenced their behavior. They don't know the difference between right and wrong that at six in the morning, you shouldn't grab somebody's leash and the other person threaten them with bear spray. Maybe the aliens made them do it. Speaking of aliens, and before we conclude this episode, <laughs> uh, Kenny's still working on our the uh, U- the uh, YouTube upload of the uh, UFO of the UFO story that we did, my personal experience, uh, right. and I know there's been some interest in it. Uh, and so until we have that ready, we are not going to send it on to other authorities in the field. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, I can I can only assure you that if everything went smoothly, that it would be out. Uh, <laughs> but but much like the Los Angeles Chargers defense, things did not go smoothly. And But w- when we get that up and running, uh, we will make sure to let, let you folks that are interested in that uh, know. And it will be going on to... Uh, competent authorities with regards to unidentified flying objects here in the Manitoba region. We'll see just how strong of a, how strong of a situation that was, how many uh, so, other witnesses there may or may not have been. So I don't know if you heard about that, but the U S finally released their uh, UAP report on Thursday. So this no, is the I second didn't see that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've been busy doing is going over that and seeing the reactions, everything like that. Again, it's nothing special. Nothing really new came out of it, but it's just like these 60 new pages that the government says, oh, we're still looking into UAPs and trying to figure out what they are. And we're characterizing them, and we haven't really made were a these, decision. Were on. these Eric Robinson specials where all the good stuff was uh, it was given the blackout treatment? Uh, actually, actually, they just released 16 pages. There is no redacted parts at all. Wow. Because this is like – this is like just what they've decided to release. It's not the internal stuff that people get through freedoms of information acts. But the only thing I found really interesting is that they, uh, they have like a couple different categories and one of them is uh balloon or balloon like entities and balloon like uh, entities. Yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah. Like living creatures in the, in the air. That's what I, when I see entities, that's what I, that's what I think. Balloon like entities. I think of that movie. Nope. <laughs> Or sky creatures, spaghetti monsters. It's really, <laughs> it's really bizarre. Uh, that was that was in 1978 that that guy wrote that. That guy, last name was Constable, that wrote that book, Sky Creatures. So, mm-hmm. and they, that's when he uh, paired the phrase uh, or paired the phrase, penned the phrase, spaghetti monsters, flying spaghetti monsters, flying. So I remember hearing, I remember hearing that around the time, actually, contemporaneously to that uh, in that back in that era when I. And when I had my ear a little more to the ground for oddities like that. Uh, but nonetheless, and you know, I've gotten feedback that people that have, have listened to the segment and, and those I've sent the, the photographs to privately, they, 
it's uh, we got something here. Just give us a little bit of time. We'll get the production, uh, the production uh, values. Uh, we need to up the production values a little bit. And, and there was a, a couple. We want it. We want it to be right. Yeah. yeah, we want it to be right. We don't yeah, want to rush it. So because because even though it's like, did I see what I saw? I apparently it's uh, whatever I saw. It's uh, it's not just me. The other people in the car, too. But it's something. I'll tell it, you that it was something. Even if it's a natural phenomenon, I've never seen a natural phenomenon like that. You know, I've never seen a natural phenomenon that looked like it had, you know, windows. Yeah, see, there and you go. and not like two windows, but like windows in two levels, like you know, upper class, upper berth and lower berth in a train. <laughs> go figure. Well, they haven't come knocking on my door yet. If they do, I'll take a ride and I'll let you know how it turns out. That's a little longer than we would have expected. Uh, again, to support our podcast, to support this kind of of overview that we provide about crime, about crime to hold city council, the province, and sometimes the feds even accountable. Uh, uh, this, this work is something that we are good at. And, you know, Kenny, one last thing before I forget, and I, I saw this as just before we got onto the air. And, and so here's the big surprise I'm lobbing at you. Okay. Kenny, were you aware that there was a, uh, somebody has departed at least temporarily the Winnipeg free press, one of their columnists. Oh, Taking no. A sabbatical. no, uh, can you give me top three guesses? Sure, go ahead, Kenny. Who do you think may have decided they need to take a year off from the Winnipeg Free Press tabloid newspaper? Uh, do their initials start with M and M? Ding, 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 ding. We have a winner, Melissa Martin, in the Saturday paper. Uh, that you know, I saw a whole stack of them at Safeway that nobody had bought, and I flipped it over to see what was beneath the fold on the front page. Very thick paper. I give them credit. Like on Saturdays, there is something to read, apparently. I don't know how good it is, but there is lots of material there. Uh, and uh, beneath the fold, it's got, uh, uh, you know, like columnists, just a heading called this little box, white box, so you can then know what's inside. And Nikki and Sinclair complaining about Pierre Polyev, of course, because nothing better to do but complain about uh, about somebody who actually puts their name up to stand for elected office. And Tom Broadbeck telling Dougal Lamont, get back to work, Dougal, or whatever, or, yeah, roll up his sleeves, whatever it was. And the third, one, the third one, <laughs> Melissa Martin, goodbye for now. And so uh, uh, Melissa Martin, no stranger to uh, to us in the Kick FM studio, uh, has for various reasons decided that she's moving on at least for a year and going to be doing some uh, some traveling. And uh, so the uh, the crown princess of the woke of the wokesters in Winnipeg, the woke movement Winnipeg, uh, she's decided to uh, hang up her typewriter keyboard uh, at least for a year and go do some other things and you guessed it on the first guess kenny see i i knew because i she's the only free flesh person that i have blocked <laughs> well i you went un- into whatever blocker and she'll tell you all about uh, what life is like in uh, i don't know athens or vienna or wherever that's she not, says, that's not happening um, i went into one of her spaces one time and it was just her yawning and saying how tired she is i'm like why are you having the space to talk to your fans if, if you, that's all you're going to do well, she got a new haircut for her travels. Uh, we'll have more to say about uh, about, about Madame sometime in the near future. Uh, but I, I want to make a point. At the end of her column, she exhorted people to continue to support, as she put it, local journalism, which is all, always conflated in their minds with the free press. Because there's young reporters out there that you know need the encouragement and they have questions that nobody else will ask. She said what happened to her was that she developed a lack of curiosity about Winnipeg, kept repeating herself, the same, literally the same sentences, she admitted in her in her stories. Uh, I mean, basically the old you know the old war horse broke down, so to speak, after 15 years or whatever, uh, having been uh, been uh, grandmothered 
uh, into the free press and and uh, and the you know the, the the life and times of of Melissa Martin unfolding in the pages of the newspaper basically is a success as a successor uh, to some extent of Lindor Reynolds the late Lindor Reynolds but she's talked about how people should support local journalism because young reporters need to be, you know can be encouraged and they ask questions uh, let me tell you who really needs your support reporters with institutional memory because without reporters without uh, uh, investigative journalists like uh, like myself, without those that know the tricks, when you're encouraged, there's nothing wrong with encouraging people to go into the field. But without experience, you're just going to get more blither and blather. You're going to get more stories, as Kenny described, that just lack asking the basic questions. Like, well, if you're a liberal supporter, how come you didn't uh, your donations all went to the NDP? Uh, how much will a by-election cost? Uh, how did this person, what are the accomplishments of an individual become the in charge of making sure the Manitoba government runs 24-7? None of these questions get asked, and they certainly aren't going to be asked by somebody who's wet behind the ears. Uh, this is one of the few avenues where those kinds of questions, those kinds of sentiments, those kinds of ideas are even allowed to be expressed. And so Melissa Martin's right. You should support local journalism. Where she's wrong is where that support should go. The Winnipeg Free Press already gets plenty of money from Justin Trudeau. We get none. And that's never going to change for a variety of reasons. But we ask questions about Justin Trudeau, about Premier Stephenson, about Mayor Gillingham that others will not ask and about their different their governments that others will not ask. So I'm asking you now to consider uh, following her advice, but only uh, but, but going in a different direction. The young reporters need to learn from people with experience. Otherwise, it's like when it's like when people have been wrestling for two years, start training other people. I can teach how to wrestle. And you end up with bad habits passed down with more bad habits by people who have not been around enough to know how to be good at this, at that trade. And so uh, accordingly, I'm suggesting that uh, she at least got part of it right. Support local journalism. Uh, you can do so with this podcast uh, through PayPal. You can email uh, me directly, martygoldlive at gmail.com. Uh, and last week, uh, I mentioned this at the top of the podcast, uh, tremendous showing of support from some people. Uh, and I say again, if this speaks to you, if anything we've done this week is something you're going to end up talking about around the water cooler, that you're going to talk about on Skype with somebody, that you're going to mention at the dinner table. If we're creating knowledge, uh, 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 enhancing awareness, please support these efforts. The more you do, the more time, in particular myself, can spend doing the research, making the calls. Uh, I'm, I want to plan to be able to go to city council meetings, uh, especially with derelict buildings coming up on the agenda. I want to be able to do that kind of work. Your support makes it happen. And we will continue to earn your confidence, earn your trust, hold the mainstream media accountable, hold the government authorities accountable, and speak out on behalf of victims of crime, speak out on behalf of families, speak out on behalf of people who hold... Who hold uh, values that aren't necessarily aligned with what's in fashion nowadays in uh, local local newsrooms and frankly in among in local government offices in many cases and certainly in local bureaucracies. Uh, we're here for you. Your support makes it happen. A tremendous outpouring of support after last week's episode. I hope that we have the same result this week. Uh, any questions? Any concerns? Any ideas of who we should interview? And we do have a couple of interviews that are being lined up. One former City Hall insider has contacted me this week, wants to come on the program. I'm going to make arrangements for that. As well as on the federal level, uh, maybe having an interview with somebody or other sooner than you think. 
uh, and we're going to continue to incorporate interviews into this format and try to do uh, everything we can to make uh, to make your you, you feel like we are worthy of your support and to make sure that uh, that uh, people know that um, there's a different different points of view out there and we don't shut them out we bring them into the light and we bring them forward uh, and uh, uh, like I said she's it, Melissa Martin said support local journalism this is your choice for support right here the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast. Thanks for listening to The Great Canadian Talk Show. If you want to email Marty, send it to tgcts1 at gmail.com or follow him on Twitter at tgcts.